Grab your Bibles. We'll be in the book of Hebrews. So you can just open to Hebrews chapter 1 to start. Thank you, Austin, and those who sang this morning. Let us in worship. What a, what a great time of singing we had. Just a reminder of where we are in this series. This is week three. This is our last week. Same, same things apply to what I said last week. This isn't necessarily going to sound very Christmassy. In fact, of all three weeks, this is probably the least of the Christmas-sounding type of passages we'll be in. Uh, but the goal is, what did Jesus accomplish by putting on flesh? And we want to be reminded of that this, this, last, this week and the last two weeks. We were reminded of that this Christmas season. Why did he come? What did he accomplish? And it's, it's more than just light and darkness. Like it's our salvation, it's eternity, it's those things. And yet there's, there's more than just salvation. And, and just to be able to re, be reminded of those things this, this time of year, why did he put on flesh? Okay, so uh, with that being said, that's the goal. The goal is that we would think more highly of Jesus. We'd fall more in love with Jesus. Last week, uh, let's go back two weeks, John 1 and Genesis 1, the light shines in darkness. We sang about that this morning a little bit. But like he shines the darkness into this, this whole cosmic universe. Like it's all groaning and sin, yet there's light that would come into the darkness. And yet even on the individual level, light comes into our darkness. Like Jesus comes and Genesis 1 puts back together the chaos and the turmoil that is in our lives. Okay, then, then Galatians 4 last week, like in the fullness of time, God at just the right time sends forth the Son, born of a woman, there it is, putting on flesh. Why? So that he might be under the law and redeem those who are under the law. And, and Paul walks out of that passage saying what? He says, why would you ever go back to living for something else? Like the creator God of this universe would put on flesh and die for you. Why would you ever put yourself back under some sort of religious law, uh, whether whether Old Testament style or some foreign, something foreign in the Bible. Like, why would you ever go serve something else? Okay, so, so just kind of reminder where we've been. This week, we're in, we're in the book of Hebrews. Okay, and, and what I, same thing as last week. Last week, Galatians 4, I was like, we're just going to park there and stay there, and that's fine. And we ended up kind of being all over Galatians. It's going to be mostly true today of Hebrews. As I study this out and this incarnation, what God has accomplished, what Jesus has accomplished by putting on flesh, the whole book of Hebrews has so much to say about it. And so we're not going to cover the whole book of Hebrews for those who are just worried. But uh, we are going to start in Hebrews 1 with the goal of, of landing a little bit in Hebrews 2 and then landing again in Hebrews 4. Okay, But just to get a little bit of context and where we're at, Hebrews 1 verse 1. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. And he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature. Like, we'll just, just pause there. Like, like, long ago, before Jesus, how did God speak? He spoke through prophets. We have the, some of those recorded here in, our, in, in the Bible, right? And yet he says, but, but now God would speak, and you speak to us through his Son. And, and when did that happen? It happened when Jesus put on flesh. And what does it say there in verse 2? Verse 3, excuse me. And he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature. Like, like the Son is the exact representation of the Father. So when we see the Son, we've seen the Father, like Jesus himself would say that. And so what does that mean? It means when we go to the Gospels, like it's not just that we get to know about the Son of God, we get to know about God himself. It's not just that we get to know, like, here's a good way to live. Like, this is how God would live on earth, because that's, that's what happened. God put on flesh, and he dwelt among us, and this is how he lived on earth. And so it's not just like, here's a good example, but it's like, this is God himself living on earth. Like, like we learn from him. We, we learn from the prophets that God spoke through, and now he would speak to us through his son. Okay, his son putting on flesh, living here on earth. Okay, we're going to fast forward here a little bit. Galatians 2, verse 9. And, and again, this is just giving us context, a little bit of what's going on in Hebrews, right? 
Hebrews 2.9, but we do see him, that would be Jesus, who was made for a little while lower than the angels. Namely, Jesus, because of the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Okay, so, so verse 9 is, again, kind of this picture. doesn't say he put on flesh, but this idea, he's, he made lower than the angels. So there's, there's some sort of, of humiliation here, if you will, like some sort of submitting himself. He, he lowers himself below the angels, but, but for what reason? For the suffering of death. Which would, again, mark what? Mark this the idea that Jesus, God, would put on flesh. And what does he do? Is he puts on flesh and he would go and die with what? It says there, with glory and honor. Like, you think back to how he died, uh, being crucified and hanging from a tree. Like, no one would ever use the word glory and honor with someone who has been stripped naked, hanging on a cross, bloody and beaten with, next to criminals. Like, never would glory and honor come out of your mouth if you walk into the city and see this man hanging on a tree. And yet, what his Hebrew says, it says, no, this death of, of Jesus was glorious and honorable. Why? Because he tasted death for everyone. Like because God put on flesh, and he put on flesh for a specific reason, and it was for him to die in our place. He's the substitute, and that's not the message this morning. But again, just the context. Okay, jump down to verse 14 of Hebrews 2. Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. Again, this is not our context yet. We're getting there. Like, it's not where we're going to park. But, but what a beautiful picture that here we are, these children who are made up of flesh and blood, and he likewise partook of the same. Like, he put on what we have, this flesh and blood. Why? So that he would die again in our place. And as he would die, what does he do? He takes the power of death away. Like we, we don't live in the slavery of the fear of death anymore. Like, like we are free from that. We, he has given us power over sin, death, and hell, and we praise him for that. And all of this is accomplished. Why? Because he has put on flesh. It's all because of what we would celebrate at Christmas, the coming of, of, of God in the form of man, 100% God, 100% man. Like he has come and he is here and he will come and die for us. Okay, so, so again, like Hebrews talks a lot about this incarnation, talks a lot about Jesus and putting on flesh and what that means for us. But here's where we're going to park for a little bit. Hebrews 2, verse 17. Therefore, he had to be made like his brethren, that would be us, in all things, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God. Like, okay, just... He, had to be, he, he, he became like us, right? Back to verse 14. He put on flesh and blood. He, he became like us. Why? So that he might be our high priest. That idea of high priest is, is, is the one in the Old Testament who would go between God and the rest of Israel. Like he was the mediator between God and man. And so what does Jesus do? He does, puts, on, puts on flesh so that he might die for us and be our substitute. We covered some of those verses already. But he puts on flesh. Why? So that he might be our high priest. Like, we're going to continue this thought into Hebrews 4, and we'll, we'll come back to this. But he is our high priest. But we skipped over two words. Right? What does it say in the text? It's not just he, that he put on flesh so that he become our high priest. No, he, he put on flesh, and he has become what? A merciful and faithful high priest. My picture of God growing up, and this is, I don't know where it came from. But my picture of God growing up was a God with a lightning bolt ready, ready to judge. Like when I would sin, I asked for forgiveness, not because I, I wanted more of God in this relationship with him. I asked for forgiveness so that my mom wouldn't die in a car accident or I wouldn't like get some sort of cancer. Like that was my biggest fear is here's a God who's just so ready to judge. 
And you look at Hebrews 2. And what does it say? It says, he put on flesh. He became like us. And in and, and, and becoming like us, what does he become? He's going to become a high priest. But how, what, this, this word here, like how is he our high priest? Like, like how does he act as a high priest? He, he is merciful. That word is just compassionate. It's pity. Like, like this image that I had growing up as, as late elementary school, going into junior high and those things. Like, like my image of God wasn't, it wasn't biblical. Like, it wasn't the Word of God. Like, hear this text, and we're going to see another text that says even more than this, I feel like. But this picture of, look, no, we serve a Jesus. We serve a God who put on flesh, who dwelt among us, who died in our place, and who now is our high priest, and he's merciful. He's compassionate. Like, he doesn't look down at us and is like, man, why do you keep failing? Like, why do you keep doing this? Like, why do you keep sinning? Like, what's wrong with you? He looks down, and he's merciful, and he's compassionate. It says there that he's also faithful. That, the Greek word for faithful it just means that you do the job that you were, you were told to do. So, so you could say you're, you're a faithful employee at work if you show up consistently and do what you're supposed to do. So, so here's a high priest who's what? Who's faithful to do the job that God's given him, but he's also faithful in the fact that he doesn't take bribes. He doesn't choose this person to be merciful to and not that person. Like, it's not like, oh, you read your Bible more this week. Let me be more merciful to you. Oh, you haven't screamed at your kids this week. Like, here's more. Like, no, he's merciful and he's constantly and consistently merciful to those who are in him. Right? And all this is possible. Why? Because Jesus would put on flesh and, and come and be part of our world. What does it say there at the end of verse 17? That, that he's this high priest on all things pertaining to God to do what? To make propitiation for the sins of the people. Propitiation. Uh, here's what that word means. Biblical definition. Averting the wrath of God by the offering of a gift. And so, so here's what's crazy. is God himself offers up his own son to be the gift that would avert his own wrath. Right? Like, like, that's the role of Jesus. Like, he's come and he's put on flesh so that he might satisfy the wrath of God. And, and, and he's the one that give, gave himself the gift. Like, it's one of those weird things. Like, as a parent, like, like it's kind of a funny thing. Like, like, you give your kids money so that they can go buy you a Christmas present. And then they give it back to you. But you realize, like, like I, just, I, I bought it myself. Like, I mean, it's fun and I'm glad my kids get to do it. But there's this weird reality where it's like, I bought myself this Christmas present. Right? Like, Jesus, God buys himself the gift that would avert the wrath of God for us. Why? Because he put on flesh. Because he paid the price. Because we already mentioned these verses, but he died the death that we should have died. Right? And all again, all this is possible. Why? Because he put on flesh. Because he dwelt among us. Verse 18. For he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered. He's able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. Like, this verse, however many years ago, would have rocked my world. Because I feel like when, when I was tempted and when I gave into temptation, that God would have been so disappointed in me. Like God would have been like, I can't believe you failed again. And yet, this verse says what? It says, no, 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 there's a merciful high priest. And, and what, is he, what is he wanting to do? What is he willing to do? He's wanting and, and ready and willing to come and help those who are being tempted. Like, come to the aid. Um, I, don't, I didn't look up what that said in other translations, but I kind of wish the Nazi had a little more stronger word than just come to the aid. Like, he wants to help. He's ready and willing to help. And now this word tempted, I'm, we're going to see it again. Like, you'll see it. I'm just going to tell you. Spoiler alert. I'm going to give you a little heads up, and then we'll look at it again in Hebrews 4. This word tempted, I think, 
generally speaking, could be very true. Like you're struggling with your temptation to trust God. Like, okay, good. He can help with that. Like you're struggling with some temptation to whatever, uh, not do something you shouldn't do or do more of this, not be lazy. Like, okay, I'm not saying he's not willing to help in those situations. But in the context of Hebrews, what we often see is this temptation or this idea of being tempted is that you would give up on your faith. And so in that moment where you're like, I'm, I'm about ready to just let go. I'm about ready to be done with it. I'm about ready to be done with the Bible and with God and, and, and church. Like, I'm just, I just, I don't know what else to do, but I'm done with this. Like, in that moment, he's there to help. Like, he's not disappointed in you. He's not upset at you. He's wanting to help you. He knows your weakness. Why? Because he became like us. And all this is possible. Why? Because he put on flesh. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 4. We're going to continue this thought of, of a high priest. I guess before we get there, um, I'll share this. This came from a book called Don't Give Up. It's written by Kyle Eidelman. I, I'll just say it. I, I wasn't planning on saying it, but I'm going to say it. Um, total, like, here's the pulpit. If I could move, I'm moving outside the pulpit for a second. Uh, I read a lot, and I try to read a lot, and, and we won't go down that road. Uh, there are some books that are like theological and deep, and we need those. And there's some books that are biblically accurate and a really good pep talk. Um, and we need those. Uh, if you need a really good pep talk from the Bible, Don't Give Up by Kyle Ottoman is, is that. I mean, you laugh because he's a funny writer, but if you're like me, you also cry. Um, he, anyway, he opened up the book, Don't Give Up, by saying this. You go to church, you get asked, how are you doing? And we all say the same thing. We're doing good. Right? That's just what we say. And so he posted on his social media, and he copied that, put it into his book. But he posted on his social media, if I were to ask you, what one thing do you want God to change in your life right now? So instead of, hey, how are you doing this morning? Like, hey, what's the one thing you want God to change in your life right now? Here's some of the answers. Okay? Uh, their grade school aged child is losing their battle with cancer. Like, I wish God would change that. They've been married for two years and ready to call it quits. I wish God would change that. She's been sick for far too long, and the doctors don't know why. They love their special needs child. They just feel so overwhelmed. Another dud pregnancy, another screaming, screaming tantrum directed at the kids, another game spent on the bench, another visit to the website he knows he must avoid. She sees a future of unending debt. He can't climb out of depression. And the point that Alwyn makes is that in the midst of that, we're all tempted to give up. Like there's a temptation to think that God's not good because my, my child has cancer or we're tempted to think like this depression and, and it's just so powerful. Like where there's different temptations. But at the end of all of these temptations is this greater temptation to say like if God doesn't save this or if God doesn't change this or if God doesn't step in, there's this temptation that says I'm ready to give up. And I think that's what Hebrews, the author of Hebrews is talking about. And so here's a God who would put on flesh who says I'm ready and willing and able to step into your life in those moments. Okay, let's look at Hebrews 4 now. Hebrews 4, verse 14. Therefore, seeing we have a great high priest. Let's just pause right there. That word great, this isn't going to be that helpful, but in the Greek, it's mega. Like, literally, the Greek word's mega. So, so this, like, big, powerful is what we think of. But the Greek word also has this definition of unlike anything else. And so, so there's this great high priest who's unlike any other high priest we've ever had. Like, read through the Old Testament, read through what the high priest said. Like, there's, this one's unlike any other one. And it's not just that he's unlike them, but it's this idea that he's better than them. So, so here's this great high priest, the best one, the, the one that's totally different, the one that's unlike any of the others. Why? Because it's God who's put on flesh. But we have this great high priest who passed through the heavens. He ascended to the heaven. Jesus is the Son of God. And since we have this great high priest, what does the author of Hebrews tell us to do? 
End of verse 14, let us hold fast our confession. Some of your translations are going to use the word profession. Like, like the things that we have professed to be true about God, the things that we have professed about our salvation, the fact that Jesus Christ is Lord and sovereign over all the universe. Like, what is he saying? He's saying because we have a great high priest, one who's far greater than anything else in the Old Testament. What do we do is we hold fast. We cling to this, this belief we have in him. Like, we are so easily tempted to give up, and yet the author of Hebrews is saying, no, because of Jesus putting on flesh, because he died for us, because he now is interceding in this, this high priest for us, we don't let go. So we hold fast. We don't quit. We don't give up. Dare I say, without ruining this message, we don't stop believing. Like, like because of what Jesus has done for us. Right? Verse 15. This, this was... To be honest, this, is, this was the first message I thought of. Incarnation, what has Jesus done by putting on flesh? This is the verse I thought of. And, and I feel like there's just so much more. But here it is, verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things uh, as we are yet without sin. That word, we're going to spend time a little bit on this word, sympathize. It means to feel the same thing. Like, recognizing God, who's put on flesh, who's our high priest, he feels how we feel. He understands how we feel. Okay? Just in the context of my life, the last month, right? I, you rupture an Achilles tendon, and guess what? You hear every story of every person who's ever ruptured their Achilles tendon, you feel like. Right? You hear their surgery. You hear their rehab. You hear, okay, you hear how they did it. Like, the other day, uh, Friday night, we're at Lake Ranch uh, Main Street. We're walking up, there's Christmas stuff going on, we're walking up, and some guy walks up to me, he says, I need your scooter. And I wound up like, dude, I can't walk. Like, what do you mean you need the scooter? Like, I will literally fall over. And I looked down, and he had a boot on, just like mine. Like, we're little buddies, right? Uh, his, his leg and the boot was 30 years older than my leg, but okay, anyway. Uh, he's like, oh, I tore some ligaments. And we have this story, right, of like, what's going on? And we, we could feel somewhat of the same pain and rehab and these things, and like, okay, we have a boot, and it's annoying. Like, okay, we got that. But could you imagine if, if some dude who we don't know, like we didn't know each other, some other dude joins in the conversation and he's like, oh, you got a boot on? I got a boot on? He's like, oh, you know what? We bought my daughter a kitten for her birthday. Man, she scratched me the other day. Like, and he joins into this like surgery and boots and, and all this, I'm going to use the word misery. I'm not that miserable though. But you know what I mean? Like, like just this uncomfortableness of life. And he joins in like, hey, I, can, I feel your pain. I got scratched by this little kitten the other day. Like, I almost needed a Band-Aid, but thankfully I didn't because my wife wasn't home, and I don't know where to keep the Band-Aids anymore. Like, like, we would look at him and be like, dude, you don't get it. Like, I can't walk for another month. Like, thank you, Caitlin, for breaking your ankle or whatever you did so that I have a scooter to borrow. You know, like, you didn't get What does this word mean? It means he understands. It means he gets it. Okay, outside of a silly illustration of being injured, like, there are times in our lives where we're like, you know what, I got, I got kids. I got no idea what I'm supposed to do with them. There are five. Man, I have a five-year-old. I, she five? I, I have, a, I have a, a person in my life uh, that is younger than me that I'm in charge of. And, and when this person gets upset, they run to their room and slam the door. It's like, when did I get a teenager? Right? And, and here's the thing, though. Like, I can share the story with somebody, and they may have kids, they may not have kids, and maybe they've never experienced this, and they're just like, oh, you got a parent better. It's like, I didn't, I didn't need that. Like, I need an encouragement to be a better parent. Don't get me wrong. Like, I need that. But, but that's not helping me. Like, that's, you don't understand what I'm trying to communicate here. Man, work's horrible. And some dude that, like, inherited millions is like, oh, just get over it. You love your job. You know, like, and it's like, no, you don't understand. How, you, can't, you don't feel how I feel. You don't know what's going on here. 
Man, some struggle with sin. It's like, man, I can't seem to get victory over this sin. I just There's a struggle, and I, and I hate it, and I hate my sin, and yet somehow my flesh loves it so much, and I can't get past it. And it's not like some dude just walks in and is like, oh, well, just try harder. Like, that's not what any of this word means. Like, he feels your pain, and he feels your struggle. Why? Because of verse 15. Because he was tempted, just like we're tempted. Right? You struggle with loneliness? Jesus knew what it like, was like to be lonely. You feel betrayed? Jesus knows that. Like, not only does he know how you feel, like, like knows that you feel that way, but he knows exactly how you feel. He was betrayed. You're suffering? He suffered. You lost a loved one? He lost loved ones. He, you struggled to submit to the will of the Father, and here's one who prayed in the garden, not my will, but yours be done. Like, he was hated, he was mistreated, he was misjudged, he was homeless, he lived in poverty. Like, over and over again, he gets us. And over and over again, we feel like he doesn't. But he put on flesh and he knows us and he knows what we're going through and he can feel the same way about it. Like we were brokenhearted or we feel overwhelmed or whatever this feeling is. He, he doesn't downplay the feeling. It says he feels the same. He has that same feeling towards the sin, towards our struggle, towards our brokenness. But then the end of verse 15. Three words, yet without sin. Like, we're going to tie this into verse 16 too, I guess. But, but this idea of like, he's perfect. Okay, we got that. But this idea of like, why do we keep looking at us? Like, like again, there's this community of people right here, like gospel community. Here's this community of people that we would say, hey, we're going to help one another. We want to encourage one another. We want to bring the other other up in this, in this walk. Okay, so I'm not downplaying any of those things. But it's like, here's the one who faced the temptation and got through it without sinning. Why are we looking to somebody else to be that person to help us through? And again, I want us to help each other through, but ultimately it's Jesus. All right, ultimately it's Jesus is the one that we look to. Why? Because he's the one who perfectly did it. He's the one who perfectly lived on earth in face of temptations and, and never gave in and always followed the will of the Father and always submitted perfectly. Like, he is the perfect one, not us. And I feel like we looked at our own, our own intellect, we looked at our own ideas. Man, we'll search for something on Google before we run to him. Okay, so what do we do? What do we do with this perfect high priest who sympathizes with us, who understands our weakness, and yet he, he went through all the temptations and didn't sin? What do we do with that? Verse 16. Here's what we do. And again, the goal isn't necessarily application, but the text gives it so clearly that, that here's the application. So we're just going to take this one. Verse 16, therefore... Let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. The King James, I think, would say, uh, let us come boldly. Like, this is, the, this is the image. The image is one of, a, of, a, of a, like a courtroom, a king's throne room. You don't just walk in there. You don't, you don't just walk up to the king and be like, hey, I, I'm going I'm to communicate with you right now, and I have some things I want to talk to you about. Like, like, that's not what you do. And yet he says, because Jesus, who put on flesh, who dwelt among us, who lived the perfect life, who died in our place, who is now our high priest, what do we have the opportunity to do? We have the opportunity to come boldly before the throne of grace. We have the opportunity to go in confidence to this throne, and this throne is described as a throne of grace. And again, that is not how I would describe it as a junior hire. Man, I would describe it as a scary judgment place. 
And the author of Hebrews says, no, 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 because of Christ and what he's done, here's a throne, and it's a throne of grace. And what do we expect when we boldly go to the throne? When we, when we go to him and we say, all right, Jesus, here's what you've done. Here's the role that you've played. You're the high priest. I'm going confidently to the throne. What do we expect to find? So that we may receive mercy. Here's that word again from Hebrews 2, again in Hebrews 4. We may find mercy, this idea of compassion. We may find grace to help in time of need. Like in that moment of weakness, and that struggle with sin, and that I don't know what to do with my kids, and that whatever situation you find yourself in, what is Jesus saying? He's saying, because I put on flesh, because I'm your high priest, because of everything I've done in this earth, and dying, and rising again, all these things, like you can go boldly to the throne of grace. And the expectation is that you're not going to get looked down upon. You're not gonna get, uh, he's not going to be upset at you. He's not going to be disappointed in you. He's going to say, hey, you need more mercy, you need more grace, and I'm, I'm, I'm ready and willing to give it to you. As humans, we are really, really good at running. And not physically running. Like, don't, like, I'm not, I can't run at all. Uh, like, but we're really good at running to something. Right? Like, like, if your team wins a game, you're, you're pretty quick to run to your phone and text somebody, probably. Right? Let, let me tell all my friends. Let me, let me post it on social media. Let me, let, I've, I've done nothing to invest in this team. I did nothing to draft anybody. I did nothing for anything, but somehow I have ownership in this team. I'm going to brag a little bit. Like We're quick to run and tell exciting news. Right? When things go bad, we're pretty quick to run to something, whether it's Netflix or ice cream or friends or music or, or whatever. Else. Like We're quick to run to something. I think the author of Hebrews is saying, verse 16, Like where do we run? We run to the one who knows us. We run to the one who sympathizes with us. We run to the one who did all of these things, and yet he was perfect, and he never sinned. And yet, if we look at our Christian life, that's probably one of the last places we run to. Right? Sin separates. Sin isolates. Sin makes us uh, be by ourselves. We don't want to be around other people. Like, like someone's in sin, it becomes pretty obvious just the way they interact. And, and yet, what we need to do to, to get out of that is what? Is to go to the throne of grace, which is the last thing we probably wanted to. And yet, the author of Hebrews is saying, no, that's the thing we do. Because of who Jesus is, because he's put on flesh, we go to the throne of grace and we find grace and mercy to help in time of need. And again, time of need, uh, this temptation we talked about in, in, in Hebrews 2, like what is that? I think it's that moment in our lives where like is, it continue, like, is it worth it to continue to live for Jesus? Like this isn't just like, hey, got a couple bad grades this year. Maybe I need to work a little bit harder. This isn't just... Some small, like, no, this is like in the most crucial moment of your life, you go to Jesus. And you go to him in the everyday things as well. Right? But all this is possible. Why? Because he put on flesh because we would celebrate the incarnation. And so here's the thing, though. Right? Like, just verse 16 will not happen in our life. We will not go boldly to the throne of grace if we do not find Jesus to be beautiful. Right? If we don't see Jesus as the one who put on flesh, who died in our place, if we don't see Jesus as the one who, who is perfect and without sin, if we don't see Jesus as the one who, who has the answers and the creator God of this universe, who has the power to change something like, like if we view him as insignificant and not that valuable, then we will never do verse 16. And so it's not just I want us to go boldly to the throne of grace. I want us to view Jesus in such a way that we want to go boldly to the throne of grace. Like I want us to view Jesus in such a way that's like he loves me and he sympathizes with me in such a way I don't know where else to go. Like, this is the only place I can go. But that doesn't happen if we just say, hey, I'm going I'm to try harder to go to the throne of grace. No, what happens when we become, uh, we see Jesus as more beautiful and more glorious. And so, this week, uh, this, this mini-series here at Christmas, may we turn our eyes back to the one who is glorious. 
Turn our eyes back to the one who is the light that shines in our darkness. Turn our eyes back to the one who was sent by the Father to redeem us, to buy us, to purchase us out of this life we're in. Let's pray. Uh, I, we will observe the Lord's Supper. Um, you can keep your finger in Hebrews because we're going to read a little passage in Hebrews before we get to the Lord's Supper this morning. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that your Son put on flesh. Thank you, Jesus, that you submitted to the will of the Father. Jesus, we thank you that you understand. You understand, you understand rejection. You, I mean, you understand it all. You understand the everyday struggles that we have, and you understand the, the worst day of our life struggle. You understand the excitement of, of a good day and, and the drudgery of a bad day. And God, you, in the midst of that, you're, you're willing and, and wanting and ready to help. And in our, our self-righteousness or pride or arrogance, whatever it might be, we don't. We don't come for help. We reject the throne of grace. We reject the mercy and the grace that we can find to help in time of need. So God, I pray that we would see you. We pray that you see Jesus, the work of your Holy Spirit. May we see these things as, as beautiful and glorious and amazing. May we be overcome by your love that you have put on display this Christmas season, that, you would, that, that your Son would put on flesh. And as you are more beautiful and glorious, as we see you as the one who sympathizes with us and not just stands back and judges and casts stones, may we boldly approach your throne. May we as a church be people of prayer that would, would run to you. We wouldn't run to other things. We would run to you knowing that you are the one with the answers, that you're the one that can help. Thank you for this morning and your word. I pray that it would, it, you would continue to work on us through your word throughout this week. In your son's name we pray. Amen.